Hello everyone and welcome to People Make the Difference, the Lorien podcast. Every month we talk about all aspects of talent acquisition, talent management, industry insights and much more with the aim to give our listeners an insight into what the best organisations do in this space to acquire and look after the people that make a difference within their organisation. In this episode, I'm joined by Neil Denton, a really experienced head of TA and head of resourcing, and we're going to talk about how to handle and how to manage hyper growth within organisations. As always, we'd love to hear what you think, so please get in touch with any questions, any requested guests, or with any feedback on the podcast. Hope you enjoy this chat with Neil Denton. Um, Would you mind doing a bit of an intro then, Neil, and just giving um, the listeners an overview of your career? Yeah, so um, started life in the Royal Navy many, many moons ago as an an aircraft engineer um, and then ended up falling into recruitment as you do. Um, Worked my way through the agency ranks, uh, ended up working for Blue Arrow, had 26 branches of Blue Arrow and then started my own agency, sold that, um, then went into interim and spent 12 years interim places like the Royal Shakespeare Company, the Home Office, Essex County Council. Um, 2019, Capgemini approached me for um, their director of, uh, of recruitment in the UK, um, was there, and then I moved to version one, um, early, very early 2022, and I've literally just left version one now, uh, and that is director of talent uh, and workforce management, both companies in, in hyper growth mode, but uh, yeah, really interesting. I'm not sure many Royal Navy engineers fall into recruitment, do they? <laughs> you could write a book with that with that career history. You must have some tales from Blimey, your own agency, and and I mean, not the this sounds awful, not the dark ages of recruitment, but not the professional outfit and the ways that recruitment are now. Do you know what I mean? Hundred percent. I mean, I think you know, I, I we we built the agency, and it was a specialist in aviation. Um, and there wasn't one at the time, and, and, and we set up the in-house function for a company called Service Air. They're now part of Swissport, um, and that was hiring ground handlers, cabin crew. It was handling, it was engineering, it was you know dispatchers. Uh, and you're right, it was a very different time in in the recruitment market. It wasn't as as I would say professional as it is now. You know, there wasn't as much. Um, you know, legislation are now as well in terms of the GDPR, in terms of the working hours, the working time directive, etc. So, yeah, very, very different, um, different market. Um, but yeah, really good experience to show that commercialism, because I think one of the challenges with um, with TA is, is do they have that commercial knowledge and now? Because actually, I think you need to. Um, I think from a TA perspective, we need to be given targets that we can build for the business. It's not just about, you know, going out there and spending money and, and using, you know, the supply chain. It's about direct hiring and how we do that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, in this latter part of your career then, and I guess it, I guess we could ask it throughout, um, heads of talent, head of resources, et cetera, what is it that you love most about about what you do? People people enjoy recruitment and, and what we do for so many reasons, but yeah. what is it for you that... that keeps you engaged and keeps bringing you back for more it, it's in, it's that's a really interesting question Darren because I, I've been asked by, by quite a few people that I'm currently talking to you know about other options um, and it, for me it's always about the challenge so what is the challenge you know and, and I've been really candid with with people I'm not interested in looking in babysitting a, a team that's working well and doing everything that that needs to be and coming in there and keeping the status quo the BAE, BAE doesn't really interest me 
you know, what interests me is the challenge. You know, if I look at, you know, Capgemini, I joined in 2019, it was 700 hires, um, you know, in the UK. I left, you know, March last year uh, and we did, you know, nigh on 3,000 in in 2021 so you know you can see that the growth challenge within that so it was about building up the rpo the supplier we had building up our internal team you know the early careers went from a from 200 to 600 the executive hiring went from sort of 50 to 120 um and it was about building the, the capability um and again the experience hires was done by by an rpo and it's building that relationship with the rpo so that you know they can upscale their team because that's the point of having an RPO is you can upscale when you need it when you when you have those you know those critical hires sort of in the experience space. So uh, it's definitely the challenge there, and I'm, I I don't do BAU. I mean it's great I can do that, but for me it's about right. How do we grow the business? How do we become yeah. a more important business partner? How do we become a business partner? Because a lot of TA functions are viewed you know as, as a necessary evil. Yeah, and I love that. Like you're, you're seeing TA is that key part in a business. And yeah. let's be honest, it's, I always use this analogy. It might not be a very good one, but a football team is only as good as its players, and a business is only as good as the people that work there. And yeah. how do yeah. you get those people? It, it's through TA. But I was, I was laughing to myself. If you are a challenge, I'm just thinking about Cap Gemini, masses of tech hiring, exec hiring, early careers, and third party management. So yeah, yeah. doesn't get much more than that, does it? It was a it was a huge, you know, um, when the pandemic happened, obviously everybody stopped for, for two or three months and it was like, right, what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, you know, business, re, you know, businesses throughout the UK realised, well, we're not ready for home working and hybrid working. So we've got to get our systems right. And then all of a sudden the roles came in, the, the business won lots of lots of businesses. I think coming back to that TA piece, I think there's a lot of companies out there now where the TA piece is reports to the CEO rather to HR because it's that important of a function. You know, uh, the bottom line is we can make or break growth targets. You know, if we get our hiring wrong and where our candidate experience is poor, then there's no way we're going to attract the number of people that we need. And, you know, with the market being as it is, you've got the attrition, which we know is super yeah. high right now. So, yeah, it, it is such an important function to do right. And just thinking about that. Uh, how hard is it then if, if you get it wrong or a, a TA function gets it wrong, how hard is it to turn that around when we think about um, reputational damage that goes out through candidates talking to each other, when we think about yeah. uh, people who start and leave, Glassdoor, so hard to turn that around, isn't it? Um, massively, massively. I think once, you know, we, we have to treat every candidate as, as a, you know, we want them to be an advocate, whether they get the role or they don't get the role. And and the challenge, of course, is is when you're saying no to somebody, they've been unsuccessful, is doing it in, in the right way. But, but uh, you know, brand is key. You know, my, my last role, you know, they, there wasn't a massive brand presence. You know, certainly in the UK, they're an Irish business. And, you know, we ended up in the top 10 for Glassdoor. Uh, and we put a lot of effort in, in, into building that brand presence and leverage. But also we, we made sure that we responded to the negative comments and the positive comments on Glassdoor because you can't just pick out the negative because everybody will see through that. You have to be you know, honest and say, look, we don't always get it right. Sometimes you know, we're hiring such large volume. We've also got to remember the hiring managers. It's not their day job. 
their day job is doing what they're doing. So, you know, but when, when you're going through that hyper growth, you are then looking at hiring managers interviewing, with, you know, in a little bit of time they've got when they're not needed by their client. You know, so it's we've got to get it right. Otherwise, it, it, it not only sort of plays havoc with the candidate experience and the brand issues that you then get with that. It's then also the internal messaging. You know, yeah. um, and and the hiring managers will get frustrated with doing interviews that are not worth that, that are not working for them. So it's yeah, a well, imagine being in that scenario where the people aren't coming in, so the TA function isn't securing the talent that you need. Yeah, but in doing that, yeah. you've got you know four software engineering managers who haven't helped produce a bit of code in two weeks because they've been too busy interviewing, and then you've never. Yeah. it's yeah, it's a nightmare um yeah nightmare scenario um but obviously as as we've mentioned the topic of today's round managing hyper growth and what that looks like um a real kind of operational question how would you define hyper growth from a, a recruitment standpoint so for me i i think if, if if you're looking at a previous year's number so let's say it's a thousand you know um and then we're looking at the challenges of attrition which will obviously grow that a thousand to to X percent of, of, of the workforce, you know. So if you're looking at from a thousand another another five or six hundred hires increasing, to me that's a that that's a big growth. That's a hyper growth because you know we we've got the attrition piece to look at. That will that will take that thousand to probably you know fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred, depending on the size of the company. Then you've got the growth as well as you're winning new business. So for it's definitely about you know a lot more than the previous year you know and and again i think the other thing with hyper growth is the competition element as well because that that hyper growth in terms of delivering more numbers is one thing but it's the it's the it's the competition that you're up against and you almost need to go into that hyper growth mentality because otherwise you won't hit those numbers you know and as soon as you're then chasing the numbers the pressure builds on a t18 you know, if you miss your, your number for January and February, then it starts to build. And, and you know, you, you know, it's really hard to play catch up, you know, um, and you're trying to run. You've then also got that BAU performance to do as well. Yeah. So you've got the growth to win for new clients. You've then got the BAU to fulfill and, and all, all sorts of curveballs that you get throughout the year. Do you think, and this might make me sound really daft, but do you think some organisations could be in hyper growth without knowing it? Yeah. Yeah, 100 percent. I think I think. Definitely during the pandemic, we saw it, it go down and then we saw it bounce back massively, massively. So I think everybody saw that because, I, you know, certainly when I was at Capgemini, we went from 300 vacancies, you know, to nearly 800, you know, in, you know, from, from that, the March we were, and it dropped down to 130. And then all of a sudden, July, August, we were at 800, you know, because the, the, everybody just, the, the, it yeah. was just, it was just a manic time. You know, um, and it's I, only really you that can sometimes see that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, th I think, again, you know, looking at the data, you know, we track the vacancies, we track how many we open, how many we close. You know, we make sure that we're we're delivering what the business wants. But sometimes the business then lands another number and you have to then, you know, skill up and get ready for that. And Capgemini was a classic. I think the original target for 2022 was 1200 and we delivered just under 3000, you know, so then you have to scale up your team. You have to scale up your, your supply chain, your partners, you know, and then we had to, to build almost a completely new early careers team because it was huge numbers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a thought on a thought on how you well, not how you do hyper growth in total, but I always. 
and you could tell me I'm, I'm wrong, absolutely. I, when, as a hands-on recruiter, if anyone ever came to me and said, we're struggling to fill this role, can you, can Laurie help us? The first thing I always looked at was the process. Yeah. Um, very few times when it was kind of at a low volume that I find out it was something wrong with the traction. I always found out that it was something to yeah. do with that point where a candidate is there attracted and moving them through. Yeah. Um, that's on a very granular level, Neil. What, what in your eyes, and we've spoken about recruitment marketing already, but what in your eyes are the, the core fundamentals to making hyper growth happen and, and ensuring it and managing it? So it's about making sure, A, the relationship with the business is right. The stakeholder management, you know, you need to understand what's coming through. You know, from a, a Cap Gemini version one perspective, you need to understand what sales are being looked at, what's coming down the line. Then you can start to see, you know, the, the types of roles that you're going to be looking to fill. Um, marketing the brand awareness goes without saying, if you don't have enough presence in the market, you know, you will always struggle to those that do. We, you know, when I was at, at Capgemini in version one, we couldn't compete with the Accentures, the, you know, uh, all the big, even Cognizant with their Formula One advertising. We couldn't do that. You know, it was just incredibly expensive and, and we just didn't have that kind of budget here in the UK. Um, but the, the, one of the things that you can you can change well is that candidate experience. That That has to be slick. That has to be quick. You know, and some of the challenges that I think the companies have and, and is and, and you mentioned it just a minute ago is is they, you know, you get a great candidate and the process isn't right and they end up getting stuck in six or seven interviews. And, and that's just a nonsense when in the market we're in. You know, you need to move quickly. You need to be agile. Um, but when you've landed them, you then need to walk them through that onboarding process. So from getting them, they've said, yes, that's fantastic but you haven't landed them until the day they walk in the door. So you have to go through that process. And again, it has to be slick, agile, quick, um, you know, and they have to feel comfortable, you know, with that process. I love what you said there about competing with, you know, bigger competitors, maybe deeper pockets. Yeah. Um, and it always makes me think of that, um, the film and the book Moneyball, if you've seen or, or read that. Yeah. That's exactly what it's like, isn't it? I, it is. I often find that. And, and in our programs, we use a lot of data to do that. And it's how can we compete with organization X? You find different ways to do it that are more more effective. Yeah. And that's the stuff a bit like you and the challenge. I, I get excited by because um you feel like you've got a bit of bit of a, a secret mixture to make that happen. You're absolutely right. You know, the Cap Gemini version one can't compete with the big four. They can't, you know, in, in terms of and it's their choice not to. So it's not that you know they've, they've chosen this and and therefore we have to be better at what we do the the interview process has to be good you know you have to have some good brand presence out there and we work with some great partners you know both organizations to really you know improve that that brand presence but when you've hooked them when you've got them you've got to close them quickly and you've got to move quick and then like i said when you then get into onboarding that has to work and it has to work well because you know rest assured there's another five or 10k coming from one of the one of the big five big four you know so you've got to do things in a slightly different way we've spoken already in just this short period of time about how important you see recruitment marketing and brand building um so i know that's essential to you but i know that you've called you know brand and employer marketing teams together yeah what has been critical to the success of doing that because it's not just about 
hiring the people and kind of letting them get on with it. Yeah. How have you how have you done that from, from a high level? So um, if, if I go back to my time at Virgin One, they, they didn't have a recruitment marketing function. They had a marketing function, but recruitment marketing and marketing functions do two different things. You know, one is more generic to the business around, you know, we're doing this, isn't it great? We've won that. That's great. We've acquired X. But recruitment marketing is around talking to applicants, you know, and that's using the social media channels, especially at the moment, to, to, to just generate an interest. And it's about A, getting the right people to run you know to manage that function that that functionality for me you know um and and if you do that and they know how to talk to people to potential candidates then you know you build a process you you know we have a social media calendar we knew what we were posting we knew what we were doing and and we knew that we had to sell a story and it was about building up that version one presence you know on linkedin on instagram on facebook wherever it may be you know um and it's then making the content relevant um, and and the other thing about the content, it can't all be we've got this job, we've got this job, come and come and work, come and work for us. You've got to have a bit more of a varied content online. You're selling a story, you're selling a you know a potential dream to these guys. So you know you, you you can ask them about coming to work for you at another time. But initially, it's about getting hey look we're here. Have you thought you know um, and then going from there. But for me, it's having the right people in the right role. You want some really strong recruitment people in recruitment marketing it's not i don't necessarily need the professional marketers because they're doing the company marketing what yeah. i need are professional recruiters who absolutely know how to attract people um and if you get that and you get the message right then you build the story and you then build that those, those applicants coming to you the real specialist vertical isn't it it's yeah. it's those people who sometimes it's marketing people who've somehow fallen into recruitment marketing but yeah. then it's also people who've tried being recruiters that have then gone in gone into marketing it's it's a real niche vertical i've found there aren't look i, I mean in my in, in my opinion there aren't many great you know recruitment marketers and you know the recruitment marketer that i picked at version one had got 30 years recruitment experience you know and it's that deep knowledge of recruitment that you know that then he could put campaigns together based on what he knew when he was a recruitment consultant, a recruitment yeah. manager, a lead or whatever, because he had that deep knowledge of recruitment. So he knew how to talk to candidates, you know, and that is is, is the critical thing, you know, and then as long as the, the rest of the team then back that up, i.e. with a slick process, making sure that it's agile, it's quick, you know, we're not interviewing 20 times because we can't, we're not sure, you know, it's just about building that process. That's so funny, isn't it? Because I always think about, um, being a hands-on recruiter on the tools, which I did for a, a really long time. Yeah. And I speak to my colleagues that are doing those those jobs now. And and they don't realise the expertise that they're gathering every single day across like all the organisations that they work for. They're just gathering this experience all the time. And do you know what? There's I think um gosh, 80% of the stuff that I do now and how I think about what we do now is probably formed in my first two years at Lorien as a yeah. resource. So dealing with 10 clients and, and trying to place candidates. I think it all comes back to, I just, I think it's so critical for us not to, not to lose that aspect. I'm sure it's the same for you, even in all the success yeah. you've had, Neil, I bet you remember like, or still stick to some lessons you had when you were on the phone to candidates, clients trying yeah. to make that happen. I, I started life as a 360 recruiter. So you're making the sales calls. You know, you were then hunting the candidate and then you were then arranging the interviews and then placing the candidate and then, you know, raise the invoice kind of thing. So, you know, yeah, you, you 
I think that definitely helped me shape how I like an internal function to run. So it's something that, that I say to all my teams, I actually try and run in terms of the passion and the pace of the function like an agency. Because yeah. I think an agency and an RPO, they're so used to handling multiple hundreds and thousands of vacancies, multiple clients, they manage it well, the pace element. And we have to do the same. And, you know, an RPO is far more commercial than an internal TA function. And that's not right. You know, that's something that I try to work on to make sure that the teams understands where we sit with the business and why, if we don't get it right, what the impact on the business is. You know, and sometimes that gets forgotten um, because if, you know, like I said, we, you know, we can make or break growth. You know, if, if the CEO is hitting X amount of growth and, and we can't attract the right people, they're never going to achieve that number. Likewise, if our process is clunky, it's wrong, then we will have a massive effect on the brand and we'll, we won't hit the number because we won't attract people. So it's, it's about being a little bit smarter, a little bit more commercial. I love that. I think if anyone was to take one piece of advice away from this call, I think it would be treat your internal hiring, your RPO, your MSP, treat it all like that agency recruitment, the pace, the urgency. I think that's yeah. a, that's no surprise that you've managed hyper growth when you've brought that approach to everything. Um, I think that's so valuable. I um, think the other thing to think about, Darren, is is when you're working it so you know, the, the, the last two two roles I've had, I've had RPOs, you know, in both roles. And then you've had a supply chain, then they've managed the supply chain, etc. Getting close to your suppliers is key. It's a partnership. You know, I, I've also been to work to other clients where the RPO and I've managed RPOs, um, you know, were viewed as as not a true partner. They didn't they didn't have an, uh, you know, a, a, an email address. They didn't have they were just badged as an RPO and, and, and another company kind of thing. Um, and that doesn't work. OK, that, you know, there should be no difference between an RPO individual and one of my internal teams talking to our internal stakeholders. They should it's be cheesy. Seen. Yeah, but it's an extension of the team, isn't it? Exactly. It's it's and and again, it's that partnership, you know. And I think where where RPOs are amazing is in that insight and data you can bring. Because, like I say, you you've got access to hundreds of clients, you know, lots of data, lots of information. Not when when we manage an internal team, we've just got the internal team in terms of knowledge. What's going on? We we get so blinkered on on our what our role is that we don't have time to look outside and look at what's going on and and that partnership needs to be where where the rpos then you know provide that insight and data so we can see what's new on the market what's coming down what trends are you seeing you know what are your other clients doing you know well they're they're starting to slow down okay so why is that right so you know we we can make sure that we've got the right approach then moving forward yeah i couldn't agree more then you've got the best of both worlds yeah yeah, and that's, it, it, that's it, it, there's no way you can manage hypergrowth if you've got an RPO that are providing your experienced hire if you're them and us. It, it doesn't work because, you know, you'll both go about things differently because RPO is very different to an internal team. However, you know, if they don't have the backing, the support, it will fall over. You know, you need to make sure it's a seamless process. Everybody's aware that it's one recruitment function, one TA function, you know, and there is no split. And and you shouldn't be, you know, them and us because and I've seen it and it just doesn't work. And then they wonder why it didn't work. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely spot on. Um, we were chatting before. Thankfully, remember to press record today. Um, we were chatting about the, 
the market and just the general economy of 2023 so far and what we're expecting. In the kind of changing market we're in, would the way that you manage hypergrowth change perhaps given the, the candidate sentiment and stuff like that, do you think? Not yet, I don't think. I think we're, where we are, the market is starting to change. There's a lot of nervousness out there, and I think we, we all understand that. But again, looking at you know companies that, that I know of where their vacancy headcount is, it's still high. You know, there's still a lot of vacancies out there. There's just a nervousness uh, around, you know, completing RPO deals, hiring more recruiters, you know, that, because they're not quite sure. But the reality is the number of vacancies that's out there is still vast. You've got to fill them. Nothing's going to change in terms of that competition, because if you're in a tech space, as, as, I, as I was, or you're in an engineering space, you know, the competition is going to be right. We know there's a shortage of skilled engineers, there's of, of technical people, technologists. So you're still fighting for that small pool of, of people. I think what will change throughout the year is people won't be offered 30, 40K to, to move. It will come down to a sensible 5, 10K. And then that becomes its own challenge because obviously if you're moving a company, you're going to need an incentive to go. Um, and sometimes if someone says it's, it's going to be 5K more, you, you know, the candidate will then look at it and say, right, OK, I've got to go. I've got, I'm going to be on probation, a new company, new start. Unless they're having a really bad time where they are, it's a tough one, you know, to sell, to get them to move. Um, but I think we will see the end of the 30, 40K hikes in salary, you know, to incentivize people to move. Um, and I think that's just uh, the pandemic caused it. That, there's no doubt about that because, you know, Britain needed you know, it realised with all these people working from home that we didn't have the infrastructure to do it. So there was all these projects going on and IT spend, government as well, so we're spending millions up upgrading their, their IT infrastructure. Um, that created this bubble. The bubble's slowly bursting. I don't think it's bursting in terms of the number of vacancies, but I do think the, the salary expectations and what the individuals can command, I think will, will steady I still think it'll be a bit of an increase, but it will steady. I don't think it's going to be these crazy numbers that we've seen. Um, a kind of double-sided question, this one, Neil. What advice would you give to heads of TA, heads of resourcing who are about to embark on hypergrowth for the first time? And actually, speaking directly to organisations as well, on the flip side, what advice would you would you give to them as well? So I think in terms of the TA, you know, I, I would make sure they've got the right, the right hiring signals from the business. So the stakeholder relationship is right. You know, if it's a sales related business, do you know what's coming down the pipeline? Do you know the sort of skills that that, that could bring? Um, is your team ready, you know, for that growth? If you know that if you know that you are in that hyper growth mode, have you got the capacity and the capabilities within the team? You know, don't forget, you know, the whole function from early careers, experienced hires to exec hiring, you know, very, very different, you know, exec hiring, you know, a lot more high touch concierge, you know, almost hiring ex experience hire your, your day to day early careers. They still need looking after because it's, it's new to them, you know? Um, but I, I think it's about making sure that the function is, is ready for, for what's coming down the line. And you've got a really strong relationship with your stakeholders. Um, from the other side, I, I think it's just about making sure that you are a partnership, you know, you're working well together, you know, you are providing that data and insight, because if a company is going into that high level of growth, they need your data and insights to do it, because we just don't always know what's going on. 
Um, and because you have multiple clients, a lot more recruiters, you've got a much bigger view of the market and what's happening. So that data and insight can can then you know feed into a campaign and, and what the campaign needs to look like to attract these people. Slight slight change in focus coming out. I'm really going to focus on the the people element because I know. <clears throat> sorry, losing my voice, getting emotional asking this question. I know how much of an advocate you you are Neil, for EDI and I and and yep. mental health, and I know you've done that for for a long time. When we think about hypergrowth, it can be so stressful, it can really take a toll. And I know that you've managed large teams. How do you maintain not just your own mental health and, and well-being, but how do you support that of your team as well when you're going through these real, you know, times of, of strong growth and you know high pressure and things like that? So so for me, it was about staying really close to my leadership team, my direct reports. And making sure they were okay, they they you know they weren't feeling the the pressure, and and then you know working with them to 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 help manage the people you know the, their direct reports etc. So that we weren't leaving people out, um, because you know we know the pressure, we we know that we're still getting high decline rates you know of offers because there is all this competition still for these people, you know, and there's nothing worse than than thinking you've got to an offer the candidates umming and ahhing about accepting the offer, then declines the offer because they're going somewhere else. And you've put all of that work in there, you know. So, so for me, it's about making sure that my leadership team were focused, were, were clear, they understood why we were doing things. You know, I like to try and be really inclusive with my team. They, they, there's not a lot that, that, that I know that they don't, you know, and they need to pass that down to their hiring teams as well. But it's also working with the hiring manager community because the pressure that they're under is absolutely phenomenal. They're delivering their day job and we're saying, can you do 50 interviews this week, please? You know, um, and then and that in itself is really stressful. So it's making sure that we we give people as much of the tools as possible. You know, but I, I think the, the hard bit with that is when you're in hyper growth, it's pressure, 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 pressure. You know, so all we can do is make sure that we're looking after each other. You know, um, in both my teams, you know, there's been, you know, mental health challenges in that for me as well, because it's constant. You know, you're looking to drive the numbers. You know, if, if we, you know, look at Capgemini, it was, you know, 600, 700 hires in 2019, 3000 in 2021, version one, 500 and something hires in 2022, 1000 plus or 1200 plus, you know, last year. So they're huge growths, you know, and, and the size of the team may grow. But then you've got new people joining. They don't understand how the process works here. So that's another pressure on them. Um, but it's about making sure that they, you know, they understand why we're doing things. We're open and honest with them. We don't hide stuff, you know, but we also make sure that, we, you know, we look after our people. It just sounds like you just crucial towards that is creating that foundation of a culture of psychological safety so that people yeah. feel safe to be yeah. open, honest, transparent come to you with issues so that when they are stressed they know they've got that that foundation to to lean on that that's awesome yeah. Yeah, um, they've got to believe you know that yeah that, that, that you've got their back you know because because I, I sometimes think that i don't that, that people within the business and and in the wider hr group don't really understand the pressures on ta you know because it, it is a real tough role when you're in a challenging market as we are now you know, because for for every, you know, three in 10 people that you get to offer will say, no, thank you. So you still got to keep going, you know, and fill those roles. Oh, and here's some more, by the way. 
you know it, it is a it's relentless at the moment um and you you know it it takes a really driven person to to drive through that and you know if you get through a, a year and you haven't had a bit of a mental wobble you've done incredibly well but it's then on me and my leadership team to make sure we're aware of that and we support and we deal with them you know um and we help them because there's nothing worse than than, than seeing people floundering yeah no absolutely i can't believe how quickly this 30 minutes has passed by the way it's been it's been awesome it's been one of my one of my favorite ever chats deal thank you so much especially when i know how busy you are you know people battering your door down trying to acquire your services at the moment so i appreciate you giving us the time yeah. um this podcast is called people make the difference which is a a real core value of Lorien, and i always love asking this question especially to people like yourselves right i've got no idea what what the answer is going to be um but to close us off today could you tell us about um a particular person that's made a difference in your life gosh um i mean it's very easy to say your parents isn't it your father i mean my, my dad was um you know bless him he passed away in 1999 and you know he was in the RAF for for for, for 28 years and and I travelled around as a child, um, you know, Cyprus and Germany for eight years. And, and then I joined up, you know, the Royal Navy as an air engineer, you know. So I would have to say he's been a huge influence um, in, in terms of, of, of my life. But I think going back into a kind of a, a, a recruitment role, then I, I think it would probably be one of my early branch managers who, was, who took me in, you know, when I started. You know, I didn't know anything about recruitment. I'd just left the Navy. You know, um, it was a right throw in at the deep end back in those days. Um, you know, and, and they kind of kept me understanding what a good recruitment, what a good recruiter was about. Um, and it just got hooked over a period of time. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I think, you know, for me, you have to go right back to when you started. Because if you, you know, if you love something like, like we all love TA, you will stay in it for a long, long time. Yeah. You know? And there's obviously something that's kept me in <laughs> in this space. <laughs> These kind of mentors, they are so important and they probably don't ever... The, the reason I like asking that question is a lot of these people will not know the impact that they've made, will they? But I think that is one good thing about people, you know, starting to come back to the office just a little bit more because it just yeah. fosters those relationships. But I think if like, you talk about people that are doing some fantastic things, then you can't go any further than Theo Smith and the neurodiversity that he's doing. You know, um, Theo has, has, has worked as head of TAs, but he's, his neurodiversity channel is phenomenal, you know, and it's making a huge, huge difference. And, and I think that's something that TA forgot for many, many years. Yeah. And, and if you look at people that want you to do all these psychometric assessments, you know, how do we do that for people with dyspraxia, dyslexia, dyscalculus? We don't have you know, they're not geared up for those. They'll say they are, but they just give you a bit more time. You know, that that's really not, you know, what people need. So I think there's a lot of good people out there doing some mental health. Colin Minto's doing some great mental health stuff as well. You know, there are loads of great people doing some really phenomenal stuff that, that I think people need to start looking at. Yeah, couldn't agree more. But no, thanks very much, Neil, and look forward to catching to you soon. You're welcome.